0: Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others, aspiring to be them, can follow in their footsteps. Here's your host, Jacob Wells. All right. Welcome to Lotte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jacob Wells. And today I'm so excited because we have a great episode for you. We're going to be talking with Deborah Dixon about her work as the managing partner of the complex department at the Gomez firm, where she litigates class action and mass torts, focusing on defective products, consumer claims, and statutory violations. Here's our guest, Deborah Dixon. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jacob, for having me.
0: Absolutely. And uh, thanks so much for spending some of your time with us today. I have to ask you before we get into um, everything legal uh, concern, um, what is your favorite type of coffee since it is called latte with a lawyer?
1: Well, you will be shocked to hear this, but a couple of years ago, I gave up caffeine completely, no coffee, um, no soda. Um, and then because of COVID, I started drinking um, caffeine more. And um, I love these drinks called shakerado, which is basically just an iced um, latte with an extra shot or a vanilla latte, but it has to be iced. But mm. I only drink a quarter or share it and have a half of it because me on full caffeine is just a whole nother level. <laughs> so I do like coffee, but I'm not a, a ca- caffeine addict as many lawyers yeah. are.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I have my uh cold brew right here. I'm a little jittery, but We'll get through it together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So give us like a a bit of an overview of who you are and how you got started in the legal industry.
1: Okay, yeah, it's the question who I am. I am thinking of that daily, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I currently practice, as you mentioned, um, class actions, mass torts, focusing on class actions relating to um, defective products, um, an injury that affects a lot of people, Um, mass misrepresentations by corporations. Um, And I've been doing that since 2015. And before that, after I graduated law school, I went to California Western School of Law here in San Diego. um, And I was working for a great firm that did mostly business litigation. So I was doing um, uh, disputes between companies. I was doing some employment claims, um, a lot of different types of litigation. And I was a partner there. Um, after being associate. And then I moved over to doing the plaintiff's class actions. And along with my class action practice, sort of my passion is um, taking on um, issues relating to gender equality, discrimination, harassment, assault, things like that, um, and and have litigated some of those cases as well, which, you know, isn't my primary practice, but certainly um, something that I'm very interested in.
0: Yeah. Amazing. I I think that's so meaningful. Was that, um, the, the, what you said about, um, you know, representation for women and uh, things like that. Was that what drove you to become a lawyer initially?
1: It actually was. Um, uh, and, and I've been very happy that I've been able to continue that throughout my career. I, I have been involved in, um, women's empowerment and improvement and equality, um, legal organizations and, um, spend t- my time doing that in education about inclusivity in the workplace. Um, and that's not just gender, but it's obviously a topic and focus of mine. Um, you know, my mom will say that she said I should be a lawyer since I was a little girl. I didn't really <laughs> believe it. I think I just argued with her a lot. Um, but yeah. advocating for people was something I did all the time. And I, and I, defaulted to it. I had a lot of sisters growing up and it was always me um, that was designated to go ask if we could do something, you know, go get, go see if we can stay out later on our curfew. You go ask, you you know, um, and then, you know, I, I, I was doing that, um, you know, just as my natural personality. And then when I got to mm-hmm. college at Santa Barbara, I started working at the domestic violence restraining order clinic with legal aid. I was volunteering. Um, and I was thinking about going to law school and getting to advocate on behalf of domestic violence um, survivors was something that I just knew I wanted to keep doing, um, preventing that, but also doing that in my legal career. And so when I became a lawyer, I knew that would always be a piece of it. Um, but initially, when you're a brand new associated firm, you know, you're just putting in as many hours as you can. But then I started being right. a volunteer um, with Lawyers Club of San Diego, which is sole mission is the um, advancement of women in law and society. And I was able to work with some of the charities that they work with. And I was able to, you know, start promoting that issue again. And it's just a passion that I don't think will ever go away. And that's good.
0: Yeah, that's that's so wonderful. Is there any uh, memory you have of any case involving women's rights or um, domestic uh, violence that um, really stands out to you as being something you're extremely proud of?
1: Yes, there is. Um, And because of the legal disclosures, I can't say the name of the the case, although it's public record, but I I can't um, publicize it. Um, But I worked on a case a few years ago that is still to this day, one of the most meaningful cases that I have worked on in my career. Um, And we represented uh, tenured senior female scientists working at a research institute. And these women were you know, 30 years, 35 years into their career and um, came to us because they were not understanding why their labs kept getting smaller and the resources were being depleted and they kept being told, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're gonna have to cut people, you can't do your science. And all these women wanted to do and had dedicated their life to do was to do science, but without resources and funding, they weren't able to do it. Um, in the case, we, we eventually filed a um, discrimination case um, on their behalf, and we did not expect it to be as big as it was because it's, you know, it's a well known institution, but it's a local case. Mm-hmm. Um, the response by the institution sparked a complete international outrage because this was the first time that we were able to ever find in public record that um, senior women scientists had made a claim for discrimination, gender discrimination, ever. And one of our, our, clients was, you know, at the top echelon of, of the Academy of National Association. Um, and the response was, uh, which, will, which I should have known was the way the case is gonna go. The response from the Institute was, these women aren't being treated differently because they're women, they're being treated differently because they're the worst scientists that we have. And when they made wow. that response, the scientific community came unglued with support for our clients. Um, And it got attention that we never expected and um, Science Magazine started um, investigating the claims. And what we talked about in the case for a year and a half, we heavily litigated that case Um, and more and more information was being exposed about the way money was funneled to the men and away from the women. And the way that I described the case in public briefing Um, was it was death by a thousand paper cuts because these women had spent their entire career and every turn it was, you know, not getting promoted, not getting leadership, not getting um, paid the same way, not getting access to resources, not being invited to meetings where donors were so that the donors even knew about their their research and their science. And yet, despite all of that, they were still producing incredible science. Imagine what else they could have been doing had they had anywhere close to the resources that their male colleagues had, but, We were successful in in that case, and the biggest part for me that has been um, a a wonderful success in my mind is the Institute, to their credit, agreed to make substantial changes within the Institute to ensure this wasn't happening, to have some more transparency, to make sure that they were taking a look at their policies that were, in our mind, institutionalized discrimination. And then on a national level, other agencies, government agencies, started looking at these issues. For how the grants were being dispersed and things like that so there was real change that came about Mm. from these brave women being willing to to stand up nothing we could have ever imagined because the response just took off
0: wow yeah that's amazing i'm just curious like specifically in the legal industry um how if if there's similarities and um if, if you're doing any work um in terms of that to um you know, fix that. So there's more equality there for women.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's in every industry, Jacob. I mean, and when, and when the me too movement came out and I say this in trainings that I give, you know, the only people that were surprised by the me too movement were men because every single woman I knew has faced sexual harassment or, you know, on some level Um, and it's pervasive in every industry and the legal industry is, no different. The problem with the legal industry is you have like the scientific industry, you know you, you have people who are used to advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when it comes to those type of issues, it's very difficult to do that. And so you do see women um, feeling silenced or not addressing it. Um, and the legal industry likes to think of ourselves as very objective, very rational, uh, like the scientific industry, that was one of the major issues we face in that case too, um, is what evidence, empirical evidence do you have? And so the legal industry also has rejected for many years, this notion of um, inequality, because it's objective, it's billable hours, it's money in the door, that's why you're getting evaluated. But they've done so many studies to say that's not what it is. And uh, it's small things, again, death by 1000 paper cuts, it's what type of cases you're being given what type of you right. know, uh, evaluations you are on your writing. They've done studies to say that they men and women will turn in the same assignment. There's nine mistakes on the men's one, nine mistakes on the woman's one. They will find all nine on the woman's one and they will find two on the men's one. I mean, they've done these studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so my work in the legal industry has been to educate about the small ways that people can make changes that really are impactful to be more inclusive. And I had a presentation that I was giving many times called Why Hashtag You Too Should Care About Hashtag Me Too. And I was giving it to mostly men in the legal industry whose minds were blown. They'd never heard some of the the ways that women feel they're marginalized. You know, you would go to a deposition and you would be asked if you were the court reporter. No male attorney that I ever have ever asked in all the seminars I've given has ever been called the court reporter. But every single woman attorney that I've ever asked has been called the court reporter um it, there's just the, the examples go on and on so we need to educate so that people understand and have the ability to be more um, mindful of it because that's the way that it's going to change
0: yeah I think um you brought up something interesting which is like the other side they say that well it says this on paper and I think you know with um what's happened recently uh, with the civil rights movement the far right will say the same thing well systemic racism is our thing because it says this on paper so how do we argue that well, what do you say to people and they say well it says this on paper.
1: Yeah, I, and your point is so well taken because that was this case that I that I had done. I, I was trying to make sure individually nobody is going to admit that they discriminate against anybody. Everyone's going to say I don't see, you know, any difference between men and women and I don't, you know, no difference between race, you know, everybody internally personally, well, not everybody, but the, the the majority of people will want to say that I don't care what you are, who you are, I, you know, but you have to meet my criteria. Um, But it's just not, it's just not true. when, When you look at it from an institutional level, when we are talking about institutionalized discrimination, whether that be gender, race or whatever, it's all these things that are set up and have been in existence forever that then trickle down to creating the inequities. And so we do have to look at those um, issues. We have to look at policies. We have to look at how things are, not just that it's on paper not to discriminate, but what are the actual policies that you're, that you're doing? One of my favorite examples is um, the symphony a few years ago was trying, you know, trying to figure out how come there's so many more men um, who make it in the symphony compared to women. And there's obviously great positions. And the symphony said the same thing everybody has to audition. It's just based on talent. There's no matter what gender you are, what race you are. It's purely talent. So they started doing auditions blind behind a screen where they Sounds could good, not yeah. see who was performing. And 50% more women were invited to the symphonies. And that's huge because it yeah. shows to us, it, no one's intentionally or consciously doing it and saying, that music doesn't sound as good because it's a woman or that music doesn't sound as good because it's a black woman or name the fill in the blank. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: subconscious. They're hearing the music and it's filtered by, they tend to choose men more often than women. But when they couldn't see who was performing and imagine the the increase in diversity that occurred because the music is the music. It was our unconscious biases that were affecting it. So we can do that in the legal industry. Take the names off of the resume so you don't know if it's mm. a man or a woman when the first when you're first screening the person. There's no reason that you need to know, is it Jacob or is it Deborah? Just take the name off. Purely look at the qualifications. Women get more interviews when their name is not taken. And then once, once you get the interview, you, know, you, mm. you have to see what happens. But just getting the interview itself is Im- right. increased dramatically when the name is taken off and the screeners can't tell who it is. In the beginning
0: yeah that, that's pretty amazing like how how simple of a you know step that you have to take uh yes. to, to make such a huge change the, the name of the resume i mean how, how easy is that yeah um wow that's that's really eye-opening i think it's really interesting um kind of reminds me of that uh show Is it the voice right where they like spin yes. the chairs around at the end and yes. they're like oh wow yeah yes.
1: and sometimes they would never even imagine the voice doesn't match what they think the person sounds like or looks like or you know um, and yeah. all they're hearing is the music and then they turn around and, you know, you see so many offense and it's like a, a, a much younger person belting out some amazing thing that you think is going to be an older person. So,
0: yeah. I guess this leads me to my next question, which is like, where do you see the future of the legal industry going? I guess you could relate that to like what we've been talking about with, uh, you know, women's rights, civil rights, um, these changes with the resume or what have you, where do you think uh, where do you hope the future is going to be? I,
1: well, I certainly hope it's more inclusive for everybody, men, women, diversity. I, I certainly do. I think the way that that is going to come about um, is on two different levels. Um, I think that um, making changes like taking up the name on the resume, things like that, um, actually looking at these issues when everybody says we're objective when we give reviews But then having to understand what that really means you know are you more critical towards people unconsciously more critical towards people you find more mistakes i mean it they they have the data so companies larger firms being willing to evaluate those policies embrace the idea that nobody's calling you bad or you a discriminator it's just it's institutionalized and we need to break those down so I think big firms are going to be doing that and, and a lot of them are, are willing to, to do that. Um, a lot of them are, a lot of law students are unwilling to sign on to law firms that are requiring them to have arbitration agreements because forced arbitration agreements and employment settings make these issues become quiet and silenced because nobody hears about them. If you make a claim for discrimination, sexual harassment, any of that, um, then it's never known because it has to be in a private forum. So that, that allows things to be kept under the rug uh, and for people to not know what's going on really because they never get to hear about the the issues. But I think the second thing is, um, I think this is a little bit because of COVID. I think more people are going to be empowered to do their own thing, um, to not feel like they need to be part of a big law firm. And that will make real change, I think. Because once you have people saying, I can work from, I don't need a huge office, I don't need the overhead, I, you know, I could work from home, I can work in a smaller office, I can have just a, right. a virtual office or something like that to meet clients, to you know, have depositions, go to the court reporter's office. But people believing they can do it on their own with, with not as much overhead will allow them to make the hard choice of leaving where they are and being able to open up their own place or do it with a couple mm-hmm. of colleagues. And I think that's going to be eye-opening for the larger firms. Right now, people, lawyers, associates, um, partners, put up with a lot um, that goes on in the legal community in part because they feel like they have to. It's very good pay when you work for these law firms. They are providing the clients, you you get the mentorship. There's a lot to it. But if people feel empowered to have other choices other than to work themselves to the bone and not be ever made partner, because you had a baby or working yourself to the bone and not being made partner for knows what reason, then they can say, you know what, I'm going to leave and I'm going to do this on my own. And I don't have to have a ton of money to run a law firm because I can do it from my house. I've been doing it from my house. since March, 2020.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's, I I think it's really interesting because um, you know, these large law firms uh, are perpetuating these negative things that we're talking about. So, you know, leaving and say, I don't stand for that. Um, in any industry, I think that's a, a real way to to make change, to to step yep. away from that, that place that has so much power that will probably never change and, and start fresh and, and really you know break down those big institutions.
1: Yep. Yep. Agree. Agree.
0: Well thank you so much for uh, you know coming to talk today and I and I really enjoy the conversation. Um for our viewers out there who are really inspired by this talk. Uh, what's the best way to find uh, you online and uh, get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I and I and as you can tell, I'm passionate about these issues, so I would love to talk to anybody about any yeah. of these issues. I'm also very open if people have, you know, questions about things they're going through. You know, I, I'm I'm available. Um, I'm going to give my direct line at my office because that's easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, 619-727-6487. And my email, ddixon at thegomez, G-O-M-E-Z, firm.com.
0: Great. This has been Jacob Wells for Latte with Lawyer. And I want to thank Deborah Dixon again of Gomez Trial Attorneys for joining us. And uh, I also want to thank our sponsor, Motion MotionTrack, without a K, uh, that uses artificial intelligence and mobile app audiences uh, to economically and quickly gather focus group research and data. So thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks, Deborah. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye.